the path of the witch is so unique. The, the gift of witchcraft. I was able to see, hear, and communicate with spirits. A very personal relationship between a person and spirit. Carnal lust and some things like that. Working with different energies and spirits and communicating. Creating magic. Powerful yeah. ritual and powerful spells. She's actually sending me in the cold. The role of the witch is to make change. Let's it be, y'all. Let's it be. People ask me, like, okay, I'm a witch, and I don't know what to do. Twenty years ago, three young friends realized they were witches. They scattered to different parts of the world, following magic and spirit. Now, they're back in their hometown to share what they've learned. Welcome to That Witch Life Podcast, your home for living as a witch in today's world. Hello, witches, and welcome to another episode of That Witch Life Podcast. This is another one of our uh, pre-planned episodes. Uh, We are actually recording this about 10 days early, so I don't even want to pretend that we're going to know what's going to be happening in the world 10 days from now. So if we sound super far behind in life, it's because we're not there yet. So I apologize. Uh, I am currently... Uh, with my other co-hosts, Courtney and Hillary. Hello. I've already informed them I'm in the middle of my Cadbury cream egg and vodka 7-Up right now. So I'm very how many, excited. What? How many cream eggs is this for you for the day? Because you pop them. You said like Prozac. And I said, you're eating the little ones, right? Like I couldn't even eat that many big ones. And you went, oh, hell no. I forgot the little ones existed. Why would anyone bother with those? Yeah, because they're convenient. I mean, that's a lot of sugar. Like, I eat one of those and I get a stomach ache. Yeah, same. But, I like one of those and I'm like, ugh. But, you know, we're talking to the queen of I was going to say, here. but this is me. So, <laughs> exactly. I'm going to say, oh, I could, e- I could easily eat. I don't even want to think of how many I could eat in a day, but I, could, I easily will eat two at a time. Ah, wow. That hurts me. I know. I'm on a one a year thing with the Cadbury cream eggs. We meet once a year and it's a wonderful tryst. And then we go back to our separate lives. Agree. I I'm, haven't even I'm, had I'm, one yet. I probably won't because, you know, it's not like I'm going to venture out for a Cadbury cream egg. Oh, well, man. then I walk I, down with vodka and seven up. So really of, of all of us, I'm the most healthy. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're having the most fun. I'm actually really jealous of the vodka and seven up. I am drinking lukewarm, mediocre, like pale tea because um, we're recording this episode in the same day that we recorded the April 6th episode with aromatherapy. And so if you recall from the last episode, friends, I'd been up since two in the morning. It is now three 30 in the afternoon. So as you can imagine, I'm tired. If I get really quiet during this episode, there's a possibility that I did fall asleep. I'll be happy. So it'll be fine. I'll carry it. I'll carry we'll this episode we'll with my drunkenness. We'll be like, your alarm is going off. <laughs> oh, horrifying alarm. Why would you do that to someone? <laughs> because you deserve it. <laughs> oh God. It's not my fault. I don't sleep anymore. We'll just be grateful that this is all audio and there's no video. And so if at some point halfway through on topless, I don't have to worry about it. Well, we figure we, most of us are doing these things pantsless anyway, so... This is what I'm saying. Oh, man. It's good times. What have you guys been up to for the last two hours since we spoke? I wrote a full-length novel, and um, we remodeled the house. Uh, we did the siding on the outside. 
Um, I have mastered yoga and found complete inner peace. I mean, only that. <laughs> yeah. God, you're fucking lazy. I ate a cold turkey burger without a bun and took my terrified dog on a walk. That's I, I um, played. I let the, the dogs play in the backyard. I potted a bunch of flowers. I want to see um, pictures of your backyard. I bet that looks cool. Mine? Oh, the back, I have to mow still. But the pot, the flowers, I'll show you. They're all, I'll send, a, send you a picture. They're on the deck. Um, so I have like a little succulent garden, and then I have some brighter flowers that are flowering right now. Um, and then what else did I? I repotted a pothos to put on a shelf, caught up with a friend of mine on the phone, and then heated up some curry that I made, and I'm drinking a, a very large pint of water. This didn't happen over this two-hour break we had, but I forgot to tell you that my husband and I finally played this game that Hillary gave me like a year ago. It's called Oh Gnome You Don't, as in like pointy hat gnome character. It is so weird and so hilarious. It's about- I'm like really excited that Brian wanted to- wanted to uh, play that actually wanted to play this game and and hillary gave it to me as kind of a joke we were over at a mutual friend's house who was getting rid of a bunch of stuff and it's somebody we hadn't seen in a while and not someone that you know i'm super close to so it was not being my normal chaotic you know socially inappropriate self and was trying to you know not embarrass hillary and they had this game that said, oh, no, you don't. And Hillary's like, oh, I think Courtney should have this. Because in addition to our inside joke about pigs, Hillary and I have also had an inside joke about gnomes. And so I'm sitting there like like losing my mind and trying not to just – because when I start laughing, I can't stop. And it bad. just yes, from, becomes really awkward for everybody else around me after, you know, five or ten minutes where I'm just still laughing and I can't breathe or talk. And I was afraid I was about to go into that space. And Hillary was actually trying to push me there because she thought it would be funny if I embarrassed myself in front of her friend. It's yeah, funny. I did. I it is funny. But anyway, the game is really fun. You basically are supposed to get these gems out of the mine and then, like – and then sell them. And then you like are constantly playing tricks on other gnomes as you go around the path. Now I know that Hillary would love this game because of that. I think Kanani would like it. Sometimes it would depend how much vodka and ice cream you'd had that day. Um, that you would probably enjoy the tricks on other people, but then you just get angry and probably start throwing game pieces. If the tricks were happening to you. God, you do know me. <laughs> it's like you've so known me a, since we were children we need to play the game and put it on instagram live so that our listeners can watch us play this oh this God, really game. i am i am totally a table thrower 100 <laughs> percent. the best one is when kanani and i were playing cards against humanity with our husbands and kanani won but I got, I was so, I'm like, I know how to get her. So she's putting, she's putting the, I'm putting the cards away and I put them all in order, right side up. And then while she's watching, I take one in the middle of the deck and turn it upside down and stick it in the box and put the lid on the box. And like, there's steam <laughs> coming out of her ears. And I just looked at her, I'm like, is it really that important to you to find that one card? Yes. <laughs> and she's just I'm having PTSD right now. I'm getting all upset. And then she's just like, 
grabs the box, takes it and starts searching till she can fix it. She, I was so afraid of my life. She was so pissed. So the funny thing, so everyone who's listened for more than one episodes knows that one, I'm dead inside and two, I have no shame. So (laughs) everyone can understand. It's pretty fun to play cards against humanity with me because I have no shame. Now, my husband is fairly shy and kind of doesn't talk a lot until you get a little bit of booze in him. And so when he does get kind of boozy and stuff, people find out, oh, hell, he dances. Oh, hell, he's really fun. <laughs> and oh we were playing cards against humanity with this group of people, and my husband won because my husband is foul. Like, people don't even know. Like, they, they start to get it. It's, can not, I, it's shocking and upsetting to people. Like, I don't know what's happening right now. He's so quiet and nice and shy. I don't know what's happening. Connie, that group of people were my in-laws and that was my wedding. I know it was fantastic. <laughs> during the, during the rehearsal dinner, like, like all of, like half of my in-laws and Kanani's husband just vanish. And I'm in the middle of just, you know, talking to all of my relatives. There were like 7,000 of them there. So I was pretty busy. And then we did realize that your husband was missing along with a lot of my husband's family. They were downstairs playing cards against humanity and Kanani's husband was cleaning house. Oh my God. It was funny. And at one point, Brian was down there and he looks at me and he's like, your husband's kind of nasty. I'm like, well, now you know why I married him. <laughs> so, uh, one of the things that, well, I'm like, now I'm half bombed, but I'm also super excited because this is like, I mean, I've loved so many of the episodes that we've done and everybody loves to joke about me, you know, fangirling, but I'm just letting you know be ready because now I'm half in the bag and I've been waiting to fangirl over this for months and months and months because we are going to be discussing today my absolute favorite topic, the thing that probably more than anything drove me straight into uh, the craft and my practice and everything. And that is Monty Python. Monty Python. Yeah, Monty Python. It's definitely not the stupid. <laughs> I'm calling it, it the stupid coke. Crow? That's what I'm going to call is it. it. The crow. The crow. Oh, so bad. So what bad. is it, Kanani? What's your favorite topic? It's the Fae. Yay! We're going to talk about berries. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm a little excited and a little drunk, both, a little bit. Courtney, what are some, do you have any tips or anything like that for the next few weeks with the new moon coming up and everything? Yeah, this was a little challenging. Um, As you pointed out, we don't have any clue what's going to be happening in our world over the next few weeks. Um, By the time when we release this, there will be a new moon coming up a few days later on Wednesday, April 22nd. Uh, As usual, this uh, the new moon is in general good for new beginnings. This particular new moon is similar to some of the conditions we had around spring equinox, Um, especially good for new beginnings. The moon is in Taurus. And Taurus is ruled by Venus, and so it's the uh, sign of a very, very good-looking, alluring people, as Hillary very well knows, because she's a Taurus. And so it's a really good time to tap into uh, that Venus energy if you want to make yourself feel more, feel more attractive, and feel really beautiful. I think because we've all been living in caves for the past few weeks. And there's been a lot of jokes online about people not being able to keep up with their hair or their nails or whatever, which doesn't really make a difference to Kanani or I, because we don't really, well, you do your nails, Kanani. I don't even do my nails, 
So we're like, so yeah, it's, um, but it is, especially if you're, you've not been out and picking up on energies of other people and been feeling really sluggish. It's a really good time to tap back into your own beautiful mojo. So one thing I recommend is washing your combs and brushes with new moon water, similar to full moon water in which you, you try to catch the reflection of the full moon in a bowl of water. So for a new moon, it's easier because that moon isn't out. So you don't have to run around in the park or in your backyard trying to catch the reflection. <laughs> Basically, you just sit it out on the back porch or in your windowsill for the night and it soaks up that nice dark moon energy. And then you can wash your hair, your face with this. Again, wash your combs or brushes with it. And if you're already feeling really good, you know, feeling good and sexy because staying home suits you, we can bottle it up and use it later if there's a time in which you really want to lift how you how you feel and lift your own personal beauty. Um, so I think it'll be good to, to help people get their swagger back. I have a really um, important question for you, though, Courtney. Yeah. Do you have any video footage of you running around in the backyard trying to get a reflection of a full moon? Because I'd like some of that for comic relief. I absolutely I had that video play in my brain as she said that sentence. Me I was in her doing it. I don't, but I am willing to let my husband videotape me when we have our next full moon. I've got to catch the water and I'll be happy to send that around. In fact, we are recording this just before the full moon. So maybe I'll try to do that this week. We could post it on the Instagram. That should totally be on the interwebs. Yeah. So uh, some recommendations for uh, books and things. The ones I chose this week are all based on fairies. There's a lot of really mixed information out there about fairies. Fairies have had a very convoluted journey in uh, folklore and mythology over the years. And I... um, wanted to uh, make sure we, we mentioned some that come from some people that are, are considered experts in the field of fairies. And so there's three books I'm really going to recommend. The first one is called The Good People by Peter Navarez. And that's one that I referenced a lot while I was doing my book on the Morgan. And the other is called Meeting the Other Crowd by Eddie Lenahan. It's uh, absolutely fascinating. In fact, Len- Eddie Lenahan if you are interested in fairies, he's somebody you absolutely should follow. He is considered to be one of the greatest living storytellers. He is native Irish and he has an immense catalog of stories involving fairies. So there are, he does have video is and uh, YouTube and just hearing him tell stories is uh, a completely phenomenal experience. So definitely get his book and follow his videos. Um, the last one is, called The Fairy Faith in Celtic Countries by W.Y. Evans-Wentz. It's one that it's recommended you take it with a grain of salt when it comes to this author's scholarship and their theories about there actually being a fairy faith but um, or what that fairy faith involves. But it's a good book to have because of the stories that this author collected from the people living in the countryside and their experiences with fairies. And um, there's two podcasts that talk about fairies a lot. They both are uh, led by Native Irish people. The first one is called Mother Folklore, which is um, digs into wonderful mythology. I just listened to episode 116, which is literally called Don't Fuck with Fairy Forts. And it is so good. So check that one out. Um, as well as the Story Archaeology Project, where they really dissect a lot of different Irish mythology 
And then the third one um, is the Irish Pagan School, which is led by Irish pagans and scholars. And they offer individual classes. Several of them are on ferries. Um, I mean, their whole canon of classes is exceptional about you know focusing on Irish paganism. And you know some of the classes are actually free. The others are a very reasonable cost. So, like I said, if you're interested in fairies, here's some definitely some things that you would want to check out. Another really good one. Um, well, there's lots of great books, but another great. Um, it's actually called the Fairy Faith. You can, the only, I, you can find like used copies on Amazon, but you can watch it for free in, in its entirety on YouTube. And it's called the fairy faith. And it's, it's mostly a, it's a homemade documentary and it's essentially a man who traveled back to Ireland and just kind of got firsthand accounts of different people's experiences. So it's like, you can take, take of it what you will, but these are people's experiences that he shares with them and he travels to different parts. And I absolutely, I, I've recommended that video to lots of people. I love watching it. I watched it with my daughter a couple days ago, uh, before talking to, uh, Morgan. And one of the things that one of the lines I love was you don't see fairies with your eyes. You see them with your heart. And there's just, it's a super cool documentary. It's really fun. I mean, as long as you're not watching it and thinking, all of this is true, all of this has happened, and you just take it for what it is, I think that's a really fun watch. Yeah, I am actually very excited because I don't know that much about fairies. Um, I mean, I know obviously the basics and a little bit, but I don't work with fairies. Um, and so... Well, it's it's funny because a lot of people that have had a great deal of research or encounters with fairies have often said the same thing is that you don't really work with fairies. You basically leave them alone and hope they leave you alone. Yeah. And this is something Morgan, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into, but the idea of the fairies being sweet and light and lovely is pretty modern and not really true to the legacy of fairies. It's um, very Disney-fied. Yes. Yeah. You know, we're not talking like, like, I think that one of the th the things that people get wrong about the fa the folklore of fairies is that the belief that fairies not only are interested in helping humans, but that it's their job. Like you look at Tinkerbell or whose entire job was to support and take care of a man child who never wanted to grow up. I mean, come on now. And, um, the, oh God, uh, the so accurate, <laughs> it's exactly what it was. And, and it wasn't enough for him to have one female tending to him. He needed to go find a Wendy and then they were fighting over like over. Well, him. I mean, it wasn't that that was her job. Come on. If we're going to quote Disney. Okay. We need to be on this. It's that Tinkerbell was in love with Peter Pan. Yeah. So she took, so she took care of him. It wasn't yeah, that it was he still took care of him. Yes. When he should have just taken care of himself. Yes. Yeah. Attention, kind of, man, children of the world. <laughs> exactly. Take care of your damn and then, self. And then, of course, she she almost dies in trying to save him. And even then, he can't fix it. He's relying on children to rectify the situation for him. Useless. Giant As man, baby. <laughs> We should watch Peter Pan and like do a tutorial of this is called the anti-dating Ted talk, Peter Pan. Well, it's like funny. So the whole reason she's trying to save him 
I don't know if, if when the last time you watched it is the whole reason she's trying to save him is because she put him in jeopardy in the first place because, <laughs> because she was the jealous, uh, stunted woman in his life who was jealous of Wendy. And so she left and in her huff, she uh, was convinced by Hook that he was going to help her to get rid of Wendy. And so it was actually Tink, who we all love, who actually put him in danger. And then when she realized that, went to try and save him. Because it's like, come on, what what better twisted love story than a child story where, you know, it's the whole love triangle going on with a bunch of toddlers. Like, that's nice. Well, that's an even more twisted thing that Disney added that to the storyline because in the play of Peter Pan, she didn't do that. And that um, somebody left him a, a cup of poison. Oh, I've never seen the play. Yeah, she drinks it Ooh. and she's dying. And that's when Peter Pan turns to the audience and says, do you believe in fairies? You have to clap really loud. It's like, Peter, why can't you can't believe in her enough? You all yeah, said you, 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 yeah, yeah. what a douche. It's yeah. really, yeah, there was, there's been a lot of think pieces out there like that are called basically Peter Pan is the worst. And it's so <laughs> true. So I'm terrified. True. Funny, I, I never knew that the play differentiated from the movie so much. It, oh yeah. I mean, come on, honey. Disney put, Disney puts their paws all over it and it's over. Right. Interesting. Now I want to see the play. Yeah. I want to, uh, well, there is a version that Mary Martin did. You can probably get, um, you could probably rent it on amazon.com, yeah. but it's, it's so interesting. This is where my theater geekdom turns in. Cause it's technically traditionally, it's a woman that plays Peter Pan as a boy. Yeah. yeah. But then they, in some l- recent versions, they actually started casting adolescent boys playing Peter Pan. And the whole thing just gets really dark at that point, because you see this young man like taunting this girl. Right. And so we're, it's, it's one thing when it's, a woman because all of a sudden it becomes this pesty thing and it's cute. Oh, look at them having this tete tat because you start, you don't think of it as a man doing this to a girl, but then all of a sudden you actually put a young man in that role and it gets really, it gets really mean. And I'm scared to watch it as an adult because I'm afraid I'm going to see all of my college relationships play out again in which I was the Wendy to all these Peter Pan man childs children. I have to watch the play now. Yeah, it's remember like, you know, she said, my name is Wendy Mora Angela Darling. And he says, Wendy's enough. Like, she doesn't have entitlement to say her entire name if she does wants she to. Does she slap him after he does that? You've seen the movie. No. She goes, oh, you're right. Right? And then when she grows up, he kind of shames her for it. Oh, Wendy, you're too grown up. You can't come play with us anymore. Oh, my God. Such an a-hole. Let's watch Peter Pan and let's, like, film, sla- like, slamming it. I think this is a plan. Yeah, it sounds like a good plan. But thanks, Tinkerbell. You not only gave us all codependent relationship models, you also tainted the reputation of the fairies. <laughs> Dear. Ruined. So we are really excited to have joining us uh, Morgan Daimler. Uh, Morgan Daimler is a witch who follows a path inspired by the Irish fairy faith, a wandering priestess of the Aishi. Morgan teaches classes on Irish myth, fairies, and related subjects around the United States and online, as well as having a YouTube channel focused on fairy lore. Morgan's writing has appeared in many different magazines and anthologies. 
They are also the author of a variety of books, including the urban fantasy paranormal romance series Between the Worlds, and through Moon Books, Pagan Portals, Fairy Witchcraft, Fairies, A Guide to the Celtic Fair Folk, and A New Dictionary of Fairies. How are you? We're super glad that you were able to join us, even with all of the uh, technical the difficulties. Fun technical difficulties we're having. Yeah, it's um, as I was saying before we officially started, this seems to happen anytime I do any sort of interview where this subject gets brought up. Uh, there's just this inescapable tech thing that happens. Well, it's it. That's one thing. Kanani and I have been running around behind the scenes, leaving offerings. I've been put. I put milk and honey in a cup as far away to the edge of my property as possible. And I know Kanani did something similar at her condo. Um, I want to raise up a story, Morgan, that I don't think I've told you. And you and I chat pretty frequently online. When I had my New York City release party. We had, it's, it was at Catland Books, which is a very cave-like environment, right? Which is reminiscent of the Morgan and uh, Awutnagat, the Cave of the Cats. Um, and I did my book talk and there were a lot of people that were really interested in the Morgan's relationship to the fairies. And so we, we spent a while talking about that. And at the end of the night, I'm trying to pack up and leave and I realized I don't have my phone. I cannot find it in my purse. And I don't carry a large purse. So it wasn't like it was at the bottom of something. And in addition to that, I wear a Fitbit every day that when someone calls my phone, my Fitbit goes off and I feel I feel vibrate. And I could not find my phone anywhere. And so I asked people to call it. And the Fitbit was not buzzing. And so I started to be concerned that my phone had been stolen because if it were in the room, my watch would be buzzing and it just wasn't. And so I had everybody combing the space, trying to help me find my phone. And then I recalled a story from one of Morgan's books in which they realized they were fairy led. And so they started leading everyone around them in a, in, in applauding and laughing and saying, oh, weren't the fairies funny? They played such a clever joke on us. And I got everybody in the room. I'm like, all right, New Yorkers, weren't the fairies hilarious? They're hiding my phone. Isn't that funny, everybody? Ha, 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 clap, 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 clap. And people started looking at me like, you're insane. I said, please laugh and please clap, guys. I really need your help. And so they started playing along with it. And so I had somebody else call my phone literally a fifth time. And on the fifth time, then I heard it ring and I felt it buzz on my wrist and it had been in my purse the entire time. But even though I'd searched this tiny purse 15 times and it wasn't buzzing before, it finally buzzed once we gave the fairies the appropriate attention they seemed to be looking for. So it can happen anywhere, including Brooklyn, New York. I, I believe it. <laughs> and I'm sorry that well, I just you laughed at your, your horrible phone missing agony. I, I think that I think that it, it requires some laughter, and so I wanted to say thank you. You're, I think I probably never would have found my phone again if I had not read your book and learned that that trick. Yeah, it's um, that was actually a really funny situation in retrospect, not so much at the time, because uh, we we did we had gone. It was a group of maybe half a dozen of us. 
maybe seven or eight. And, um, we had gone to do a full moon ritual together. It was a mixed group. We weren't all like the same flavor of pagan, if you will, but just all getting together to do something. And we went out into the woods behind, um, the house, the childhood house of one of the women. And she literally lived there her whole childhood and had gone back to this spot in the woods more times than she could count. And we go back and we do it and everything's fine. And then we're trying to leave and we could not get out of the woods. We could see the lights from the houses because it was like a little section of woods behind like a suburban development. And we could see the lights, but no matter how much we tried, we could not get any closer to them. So the 15 minute walk out, it was like 45 minutes trying to get back and we're still lost in the woods and getting stuck in like pricker bushes and tripping over stone walls. And it was just the most ridiculous misadventure in the suburbs ever until we all started laughing. And then we finally got out. Like It's, it's funny now at the time it was a little uh, nerve wracking. I bet that's not, I would be, I would be like, Oh my goodness. (laughs) You just have to give the people what they want. And what they want is for you to finally laugh at the fact that they're trying to make you crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate their efforts. Exactly. Exactly. So um, one of the things we usually start off with people is we usually like to ask people, um, how did you know or, or what brought you into practicing witchcraft? Um, that's a good question. I... Um... I had not been raised in any particular religion. So my childhood, I tend to describe it as like secular agnostic. Um, There's a whole really long story about that. But um, ultimately, when I was about 11, uh, my best friend had come across Scott Cunningham's book, uh, Wicker for the Solitary Practitioner, and shown it to me. Classic. It is. It is the gateway to paganism for many, many people. Um, And when I read it, you know, as someone who had really never had any structured religion in their life and who had kind of of casually explored a few, um, reading Cunningham's book, it it kind of everything clicked into place. The, The realization that you could, you know, basically you could be pagan in the modern world you could worship multiple gods and that there were other people who believed that spirits, you know, and fairies and ghosts and all that were real. Um, and it just all made such intuitive sense to me. Um, I mean, obviously I didn't stay with that particular type of witchcraft, but sort of the wider concept of it really clicked with me. Um, so that's how I, I ended up in it. I, I actually, it's funny. I actually bought both, uh, both of your books. I actually have uh, fairies, a guide to Celtic fair folk, and then a new dictionary of fairies, a 21st century exploration of Celtic and related Western European fairies. Um, fairies have been something that I've been kind of studying and into for a very long time. And so I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed both of your books because a lot of it, just kind of resonated with me. And, um, I just thought it was, it was very well written. It was, it was very digestible. Um, and I think that a lot of times when you're looking into this kind of stuff, it can vary so much and you get all these different concepts 
you and I kind of talked a little bit about, um, you know, some of the, some of our kind of current knowledge or what people currently put out has a lot to do with, um, what people have previously documented and the reliability of that can be kind of questionable in nature. Um, but some of the things that you talk about that I think would be really awesome for people who maybe aren't that fluent in this stuff or haven't studied a whole lot. One of the things that you, um, discuss is that they don't necessarily like to be called fairies. Yeah, that's, that's actually a really big thing. Um, and I admit that I am really bad about that. Um, not so much in my daily life, my actual, you know, real life, if you will, but, um, when I'm teaching or when I'm writing or, you know, when I'm talking like this, it's so hard not to use the word fairy because that's just what people understand. Um, but yeah, in, in most of the folklore, in most um, cultures that still actively have these beliefs, it's considered a really bad idea to use that particular term. Um, the belief is basically that they don't like it um, and that you don't want to use any sort of term that, that are going to upset them or that they're not going to like um, because, again, the, the folk belief is that at any time the um, the fairies, the good folk, could be passing by and um, humans might not see them or be aware of them. So anytime you're speaking about them, you can't know for sure that they're not hearing you. And if you say something that offends them or upsets them, there's going to potentially be consequences for that. And there's a lot of uh, anecdotal accounts and, and older um, folkloric stories about what happens in those situations. So kind of the practice of using euphemisms came about um, and actually dates back. Uh, I think the oldest references we have in writing are like five or 600 years. Um, and they're always more positive, you know, beneficial terms. So things like um, the fair folk, the good people, uh, mother's blessing. That's a Welsh one. Mm. Um you know, and it's just the idea that if they happen to be passing by and they hear you and you're using something that's complimentary, um, they're not going to be upset with you that you're talking about them. And it sort of reminds them that they potentially can be those good, positive things. Because, you know, clearly in, in the folklore and in um, even modern accounts um, and, and modern belief, they're not always positive. They're not always going to mm -hmm. necessarily be your friend or be helpful. So you don't want to make them mad. Well, do you have a, a, a term that you kind of use as your default term? Uh, I tend to use Irish terms a lot. So, um, Athena Waha, um, uh, Ella, Athena Ella, um, is she, uh, which you'd mentioned in the, the introduction, um, Thinashi, um, you know, Ushla, uh, you know, all terms like that. And it, they're all basically like, um, you know, has, um, the good people, um, Athena Ella is the, the other crowd, the other people, the Ushla is the gentry, um, you know, so they're all things kind of along those lines. 
in English, I think most often I'll, I'll either call them the good neighbors or the good folk. Yeah. The, um, I, I think that's, you know, that's another thing that's really interesting is that we talked about a little bit before about how there's a, a misconception with a lot of people that fairies are, they're good and they're kind and, and they're, you know, protecting mother nature and they're, you know, our helpers in the garden or things like that. And, and they've gotten this kind of very, uh, you know, cartoony kind of spin placed on them. But mm-hmm. if you speak to people who practice uh, and have a, a fairy belief, that is not what they believe. That is, that is not the folklore. That's, that's kind of not what the stories say. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, and when we look at, at the sort of the entirety of the material, if you will, um, you know, of course there are going to be examples of, you know, beings that are helpful or, um, you know, stories where the the good folk interact in a way that is just sort of uh, a random act of kindness, if you will. Um, but those tend to be more unusual, you know, as the stories go, um, as people's encounters go. Um, even the more positive ones, the ones that we would normally sort of categorize as more benevolent, uh, if you upset them or make them angry or insult them, um, you know, they're going to respond in a way that's not going to be pleasant for the human being involved. Um, there's a reason that probably 50 to 60% of the folk material that we have relating to fairies is about protections against them. Um, either things to do or not to do to avoid upsetting them or avoid them entirely, uh, or ways to sort of defend yourself or protect yourself if they are upset or if they're just around and you know that they're around and you want to make sure that, you know, you're, you're keeping yourself safe. Um, you know, and we have so much of that material, sort of that apotropaic side of things that, um, you know, it's pretty clear that people have always had a lot of respect, uh, for their ability to potentially cause harm. Um, sometimes really significant harm if they're motivated to, um, and that's, that's talking about the ones who are more on that um, benevolent end of things. If, you know, we're talking about the ones who are more, I guess we would say sort of malicious by nature. Um, you know, they don't really need much in the way of motivation to cause humans problems. That's just sort of what they do. Um, I always try to avoid referring to them as like bad or evil. Cause you know, I don't think that those sort of moral judgments come into it. Uh, you know, they're just sort of doing what it is they do. It just happens that, you know, what it is they do is like lure children into streams and drown them or, you know, trick people into riding on them and then eat them. That's just their nature. That's what they do, which is, is never going to end well for the human being involved. What, uh, what is it that drew you to studying the fair folk? That's a good question. Um, it's actually kind of funny because I, I think that a lot of people, um, 
you know, particularly when they read the the two books that you had mentioned earlier, um, or see a lot of my writing online, tend to assume that, you know, my entire approach to this subject is, is very intellectual. Um, but kind of as the story that, that opened this, um, my story after Courtney's story illustrated, um, I have a lot of interactions. I have a lot of experiences and that goes back as far as I can remember, um, before I was into witchcraft, um, you know, back when I was a very small child, uh, I would have these experiences. I would see things, um, I would have encounters. And I think I got to a certain age where I just needed a way to contextualize that. Um, I grew up in the Irish American diaspora. So I had some of that folklore, um, kind of with me already, uh, in fragmented form, if you will. Uh, but I think I hit a point, um, when I was a teenager where I really started studying it because I needed, I needed that framework. Um, I needed to understand my experiences and what I was dealing with and seeing. Um, and I, I needed it to, to have a bigger context than just me. Um, and that's what really got me into, to studying the older folklore, um, and modern anecdotal accounts and, you know, for me, at least once I got into that, it, it almost becomes like, um, I don't want to say obsession because I think I'm already making myself sound a little crazy with everything I've just said, but, um, you and I both girlfriend, <laughs> yeah. what, we've, what heard together. <laughs> we've heard a lot of things on this show and the people that listen to us come because they've had profound experiences they don't understand. So hearing yeah what somebody else might think of as quote unquote crazy is all very often quite validating. So please go yeah. continue. Agree well, with your crazy. We love it. <laughs> I, love I channel crazy. my crazy into research um, because, you know, for me it was just, that was how I grounded myself when I was having to, to deal with things that were really, um, really difficult for other people to understand. We'll just put it that way. Um, I think, I think what kind of captivated me and got me so drawn into it was when you actually, it was, I mean, frankly, it was, I think in the beginning, it was kind of the, the cuteness of the concept, right? Like I'd be lying if I didn't say, I just thought that the, the idea of it, the Disneyfied ver- version was, was, you know, cute and fun. And then you start looking into it and you realize that is not at all what any of this is. And that's what grabbed me. Right. Was when you realize that, no, it's, it's nothing like that. It's, it's so different. And, and you get into the depth of that and you start to learn about that. And I think the other thing that really uh, resonated with me was although they, they talk about quote unquote, the fairy faith, Mm -hmm. it's not its own religion. Right. And so it's a belief system that is encapsulated in so many different religions that it has nothing to do, you know, people who consider themselves Christian or, um, you know, uh, practicing Judaism or practicing, you know, uh, Islam or something, they may have a belief in, in the fair folk. And 
the fact that it is just all encompassing like that and it just doesn't, doesn't have religious bounds, um, I think just added more credence to me of, of the validity because it wasn't just something that people were told because this was part of the religion that you were told to believe. Right, right. And I, I think that the term fairy faith is a bit of a misnomer. Um, and I do think it sometimes confuses people. Um, so that's an excellent point that you brought up uh, because it it's not its own religion, as you said. Uh, it's sort of a term that was coined um, kind of in the late Victorian, early Edwardian era, um, about a hundred years ago, to just describe the the body of beliefs and practices around fairies. And even when you read the, the older material, um, which is uses the term fairy faith, they never used it in that sense of this is a, a specific belief system or religion that people follow. It, it was always meant more um, faith in the sense of belief in, you know, people who believe in these beings this is the beliefs, these are the beliefs, um, and this is the practices, these are the practices that are associated with those beliefs. And you do find them, you know, in this very widespread sort of manner, and you find them associated with all sorts of different religions, um, you know, because fairies have this sort of interesting niche that they occupy where, um, you know, they're not strictly speaking gods, although, you know, there, there gets to be a little fuzziness with some of them, but, um, it allows for them to sort of fit in to other belief systems without necessarily contradicting things. Um, there's actually some really fascinating books out there. Um, Richard Firth Green has one called Elf Queens and Holy Friars, which talks about the way that Christianity struggled with kind of incorporating fairies during the medieval period um, and how they sort of found this sort of um, not exactly comfortable, but this way to make it work where particularly the, you know, what, what they would term the common people, but um, you know, the majority of people could continue to have these beliefs and practices and also consider themselves to be good Catholics um, or good Protestants, you know, um, good whatever type of Christian, uh, without having those fairy beliefs contradicting um, their Christian beliefs, which are generally very anti-spirit. Um, which isn't to say that Christianity is pro-fairy, because it's not, and there's a lot of other stuff that went on with the church, um, putting a lot of effort into trying to force the beliefs out, Um but it is really fascinating to see how they, they just couldn't do it. And so they, they got absorbed um, into these other cosmologies. Uh, sorry, this is a topic that really interests me. So No, I'm, I'm right there. I, I geek out on that stuff right there with you. It's, it, it, it transcends religions, formalized religions. And so as such, formalized religions have had to incorporate that because otherwise people just wouldn't accept it to be true. It's a very good book by Richard Firthgrain. I highly recommend it. Um, Elf Queens and Holy Friars. Um, you know, it's, it's, I think it demonstrates, uh, you know, if you will, uh, sort of the, the reality of these beings that 
people were experiencing them and having um, these events occur that, you know, were explained through that belief system. And so even when, you know, this other dominant religion comes in that tries to say, well, no, you know, you can't believe in those things because it doesn't fit in, um, people would not stop believing because to them that, that really was an aspect of their reality. Uh, so instead what happened is, you know, the, the dominant religion got modified a bit. <laughs> and then we start seeing stories about, you know, fairies asking for baptism and if they're going to be saved in the end times. And, you know, just some really fascinating sort of overlapping theology going on, if you will. One of the books that you and I uh, kind of briefly uh, touched on was I had mentioned to you one of the books I have. It's called The Secret Lives of Elves and Fairies from the Private Journal of the Reverend Robert Kirk. And um, that's that's a book that was written, uh, just as it sounds, it was written as a book in, I believe, the 1700s. And has been used and kind of quoted well, as kind of fairy fact. Yeah, to be clear, said. the the secret commonwealth of elves, fawns, and fairies um, by Robert Kirk. Uh, yes, yes, I have that one as well. Yes, the the secret lives is actually fiction. Um, it's a oh, okay kind of a novel that was written by um, John Matthews. John Matthews, in yep, two thousand five. Yes. Yes. Okay, based off of the Secret Commonwealth. He incorporated some material from the Secret Commonwealth. He incorporated some um, pretty widespread folkloric motifs, um, the stolen bride, the borrowed midwife, things like that. Um, and then he sort of fictionalized the rest. It's sort of his imagining of um, what Reverend Kirk's personal life may have been like, um, in his imagination. Yeah. The, sorry, I I'd said it backwards. The, um, the elves, fawns and fairies, the se or secret Commonwealth of elves, fawns and fairies by Robert Kirk. That yep. was actually when I'd picked up from another book that had said it was the most, uh, in their opinion, it was the most comprehensive, um, kind of old stories of, of elves, fawns and fairies. What, what are your thoughts on that? Oh yeah. Yeah. The secret Commonwealth is, is absolutely fascinating. Um, it was written in the 1690s by uh, Reverend Kirk, who was a minister in um, Aberfoyle in Scotland. And, um, he basically undertook what we might today characterize as this sort of anthropological study of fairies and gathered all of these different stories. He talked to a lot of local people um, and sort of tried to write about fairies um, as if they were uh, sort of like a neighboring culture. So he touches on all these different aspects of um, what fairies might be, what he thinks physically they are, um, what they're known to do and eat and you know, their potential language and clothing and um, all sorts of other things. The book also gets a lot into the second sight in Scotland, which is this ability to see um, events before they happen, uh, ghosts, fairies, uh, assorted different things. Um, so that part of the book is about that. But um, quite a lot of it, he 
he sort of focuses on these different things around um, fairies. And it is definitely for the time period, uh, the most thorough thing you're going to find. Um, and he also really got into a lot more detail uh, even than later authors would. It's, it's very concise. It's a very short book, but it does have a lot of depth to it in how much it covers. Um, it was not published uh, until over a hundred years after he had died. I think 1815. Um, yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it sat around for a while. I say it, which is a little misleading. He actually wrote it in a series of multiple, like little small um, journals, um, like picture pocket sized. Uh, you can still go visit them. They're in two different museums in Scotland. Um, his little notebooks. Uh so I, I personally, I like to imagine Reverend Kirk like wandering around Scotland with these little notebooks, interviewing people, asking them about what they believed about fairies. And um, he, he does in the book also include some of his own theories and ideas about their nature. Uh, so it's a really fascinating book. I do highly recommend it. Do you have some particularly good stories that you would be willing to share of things that either you yourself have experienced or things that people have shared with you? I have so many stories. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Want to throw a topic at me, and maybe I could narrow it down a little. Uh, so, okay, okay, hold on. Something, something that's happened to you in your home. <laughs> okay, um, well, I still have lots of those, but um, okay. The first one that probably immediately comes to mind is. Um, I think I had touched on this a little before, but I, I do see fairies. I do see otherworldly beings. Um, and I was sitting in my living room and I kept seeing something moving across the room, um, over by one of the outlets. And I didn't think much of it. Um, but it was sort of persistent and I was getting ready to go pick I believe my second child at the time was in preschool. So I was getting ready to go pick her up from preschool. Um, but before I left, the the movement was getting so sort of annoying that I figured I would go over and just look to see what was over there. And right as I got over to where I had seen, um, it, it looked like maybe a foot high, foot and a half high little figure just kind of darting back and forth. Um, right as I got over to where I had seen it, the outlet that was plugged in burst into flame. <laughs> and because Whoa. I was dead, it's a true story. Actually, I have pictures of the plug. It was very dramatic. Um, that is dramatic. Because I was standing right next to it when it happened, I was able to immediately unplug it. So the plug melted and um got a little toasty but the wall was fine the outlet was fine nothing else caught on fire um i lost several years off my life i think uh right more than a little scary when it happened um but i i really feel like that was one of the house spirits kind of trying to help me out um if i hadn't gone over and checked it when i did if i had left to go get my daughter which is what i was getting up to do I probably would have had my house burned down. So uh, this was definitely a much better outcome. <laughs> my feeling is they appeared in order to warn you 
Or do you think they were the cause? Okay. No, I, I think it was trying to get my attention. Um, hmm. Trying to warn me. I mean, it's a house spirit, so it this is its home also. Uh, so it obviously uh-huh. doesn't benefit the house spirit to have the house burned down either. Um, and it just happened that I, I was there, and because I was aware of it, it was able to get my attention. Um, so it worked out well for everyone. <laughs> I think, I think I've mentioned this to you as well, but I mentioned it earlier on. Um, you know, it's one of those, you take it with a grain of salt. It's mostly just anecdotal stories, but one of the, uh, a a good, for people who are kind of interested, I I think a good watch was the fairy faith, the movie, the documentary. documentary? Definitely. Yeah. Because it's, it's such a good example of, I think if people have one concept of these being like super sweet, you know, you know, Tinkerbell type fairies, you know, one of the stories, the guy very specifically states, he's pretty sure they were trying to kill him. Yep. And another story is, is an anecdote of a man who was made blind mm-hmm. um, and a bunch of other stories. And they all have a very um, kind of scary aspect to them. They're not just super fun, you know, right. oh, I saw Oh, it's so exciting. It was like something was happening and I ran because I, I didn't know what was about to happen. And it gives a much more to me, true to life account of the people who, who share in this faith and have these beliefs. These are the beliefs. Right. Right. Well, and okay. I was going to say, you know, speaking of more um, stories along those lines, um, I'll give you two. Uh, one of these is an anecdote from a friend of mine. Um, she is a practicing witch now, but this was, uh, when she was a younger teenager and she wasn't into anything metaphysical at the time. Um, she and a friend of hers, uh, they lived in Pennsylvania and I'm not going to remember, uh, what city offhand. So I apologize, but they were in a park and they, um, if I'm remembering this correctly, the way she told me they heard music. So they kind of decided to go sort of see what was going on. I believe she was like 14 or 15 at the time and it was nighttime. It was dark. Um, and they went into this wooded section and, uh, from what she said, um, they encountered this being who looked sort of like a man, but was clearly not human. And they were both immediately very terrified, um, and turned and ran. And she said it, um, felt like it was chasing her. Like she could feel it following her, um, and very cold. And they managed to get out of that section of the park. And once they sort of left that immediate area, it stopped chasing them and they turned around and it was just gone. So, um, I am not retelling this nearly as well as she told it to me originally. There's a lot more terror and thinking you were not going to make it out of the park involved in this. Um, no, and again, but that's a very like, common story too, is where a lot of people say like that is the first thing they hear is music. And a lot of times they describe it as an otherworldly type of music. Yeah. I've heard fairy music a few times in my life and it, it is really hard to describe. Um, it, it does not sound like, um, it just doesn't sound like human music. I don't know how else to say it. Um, mm. 
And at least one time that I heard it, it was terrifying. And there's no reason for it. It's not like, it's not scary music. It's not like the theme song to a horror movie or something. Um, it's, it's beautiful music, but it just, as soon as you hear it, there's this instinctive sort of atavistic terror that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's what had happened with her, you know, when they saw this being or, or how that exactly played out, um, for them, you know, running out of this park. Um, but it, it definitely is a really intense feeling. Um, and it's, it's music when you hear it, that it's not like anything else. I can understand why she called it. That's part of the trick, I believe as well, in that it's, it's captivating. And so it does, it draws people to it unless like you maybe have knowledge of what it might be, in which case you run like hell. Yeah. She, you turn and go the other way. Yeah. Um, I'll I'll tell you my second story really quickly. Uh, and then we can, you know, move on to what your question was, Courtney, but, um, so, um, I think it was Kanani had mentioned, uh, blindness before, um, the person in the documentary who had, um, the story in the documentary, the person who'd been blinded. So I've been doing this now actively for probably about 30 years And, um, when I went to Ireland in 2016, I had sort of this very intense initiatory experience. Um, and I've studied this intensely, uh, for at least the last 10 or 15 years. And I'm saying all this just to establish that I I should know what I'm doing and I'm not generally a foolish person, but, um, I was in a situation where, even as someone with a lot of experience who has dealt with these beings for a long time, um, I annoyed them basically. Uh, I didn't do something that, um, they wanted me to do. And I effectively went blind for three days. Um, I got a weird eye infection that the doctors could not explain what it was. I did go to the emergency room Mm -hmm. Um, but the doctors were literally like, you, you have an eye infection, but we have no idea why or what's causing it. Um, and I spent three days basically unable to see, uh, until I rectified my behavior. So I have a lot of empathy for people that end up blinded by fairies and it's not fun. Do not recommend. Um, so before you came on, we had a very rousing discussion about, why we hate Peter Pan and why Tinkerbell is is problematic in many ways. And so I'm curious of all the modern pop culture depictions of fairies, is there one that you just really irks you that you'd say, if anything, avoid modeling your belief on fairies on this specific depiction? Oh, that's such a deep question. Um, (laughs) I, I mean, I could name several sources and then I will be getting like rocks thrown through my windows, but I will say that while I totally agree about the Tinkerbell thing, um, cause she was sort of the bridge, uh, between, cause she does have a little of that folkloric mean, she tries to kill Wendy fairy going on. Um, yes. but she, she is the template for that Victorian tiny petite winged female fairy that now plagues everywhere. Um, but I think the biggest trope currently that 
causes me to twitch and, and froth the mouth a little bit is probably the um, emo unseelie boyfriend. Which oh is a- no! Oh yes, and it's such a big thing in young adult urban fantasy, and even some adult urban fantasy. And I, I really have seen a significant shift in the last ten years with people in some corners of the community um, starting to to really kind of fall into that mindset. Um, the unseelie are actually the good guys. The unseelie court is actually the, the more honest, better court. Um, everyone wants an emo unseelie boyfriend. Um, may not know what that is. Would you explain what that is? Oh yeah. The context would probably help. Um, so in, in Scottish folklore, specifically lowland Scottish folklore, there are, said to be two groups of fairies. There's the Seelie who are, um, Seelie means like blessed, lucky, fortunate. Um, and they're generally the more benevolent fairies. They're the ones who will give you a warning before they blind you. So you can apologize. And then there's the unseelie, um, unseelie sort of the opposite of Seelie, uh, just means like a unholy, unlucky, unfortunate. And those are the ones that usually will try to eat you. Um, Kelpies, water horses are usually in that classification. Um, anything that's just going to actively try to cause you harm, uh, no matter what you've done, um, kind of falls into that unsealing grouping traditionally. And um, in a lot of modern cases, people kind of break that down into good fairies and bad fairies, but that's a major oversimplification. Uh, but even that aside, like the, the unseelie fairies are not going to be the ones who you just need to give a hug and a biscuit to and they'll be your buddies. It seems like it seems to me this email unseelie court, it just kind of feels like it's 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 LARPing Twilight, but with elf pointy ears and fairy wings. Yeah. It just sounds like the Twilight movies of just people are taking that a little too seriously. And you don't want a vampire boyfriend either, actually. And you don't want an unseelie, unseelie boyfriend. So let's just, you know, right. let's, that should go down in our dating rules. Don't date Peter <laughs> Pan, unseelie, or vampires. Thank you for coming to our TED Talk. Sincerely, Kanani Like, Yeah, no, it's it's true, though. Um, I On Facebook, I have a page called the um, Faye Propaganda Department. And... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's a lot of fun. You should check it out. But I'll often post things that are basically like, don't, don't jump into fairy rings. Don't, you know, do the silly thing or you're going to end up, you know, taken by the fairies and you're not going to enjoy it. And the amount of comments that I get from people who are like, oh, that's awesome. You know, fairy Lord, come take me away. And no. Right. When you look at the folklore, the majority of the folklore, the vast, vast majority of the folklore, uh, when people do get taken by the fairies, it's usually not a good time for the human. Um, You know, they get taken as a food source, you know, which is not something the human's ever going to like. They get taken as a servant. uh, And that's not like, I think people these days when they think servant, they have this weird modern capitalist servant in mind. Like you're Mm. you're working some minimum wage job as a maid somewhere. 
that's not what this is going to be like. <laughs> this, you know, think about a thousand years earlier. Um, you know, this, this is going to be two sets of clothes a year, two meals a day, if you're lucky and scrubbing chamber pots and fireplaces for the rest of your existence. Sleeping on cold stone floors by the fire ashes. Right. Right. Like, um, you know, I think people need to kind of recalibrate a little bit when they're grasping what taken as a fairy servant means. Um, and a lot of stories too, where humans get taken to be a servant, if they mess up, the consequences are really unpleasant. Um, you know, so it's, it's also not a job where you, you get to make a couple mistakes and it's okay. Um, and then, you know, the other option you get taken, um, you, you end up effectively as kind of breeding stock. And that's definitely not in the super fun, unseely emo boyfriend way. This is more in the, we need to repopulate our numbers. You could be useful for that kind of way. Like a handmaid's tale way. Yes. Actually, that's a, that's an excellent analogy. Exactly like that. Um, so since hopefully we have appropriately scared people. Right. I was going to say, after that nice segue. To the concepts of the fair folk, um, which I think is a good thing. Uh, but what about, what are some things that people who are interested in the practice are learning about? What are things that people can do to please the good neighbors or make sure that they're doing right uh, in, in trying to kind of incorporate them into their practice or acknowledge them. Uh, What are, what are things that people can do to kind of make sure that they're on the right side? Right. After we've laid that lovely groundwork, um, which is a good thing, I think it's important groundwork. So it is, it is, Um, you know, and that's also just the reality. You know, if you're going to go into this, you have to be, um, realistic as it were. Um, I've seen a lot of people who just try to completely ignore any folklore, any anecdotal account that's negative. And, you know, that's just not a safe thing to do. Um, I, I like to, I hate, I should say, I hate to use comparisons to human world animals because I I think you also don't want to underestimate and start thinking fairies are, are like animals or not intelligent or, you know, what have you, not that I'm saying animals aren't intelligent, but, you know, I do like to compare it to like, if you want to learn how to work with wolves, um, you have to accept the entirety of the behaviors. You know, you have to accept that they're carnivores. You have to accept that they can be dangerous um, or you can't do it safely. And, you know, I think you, the first step really, if you want to deal with or work with fairies um, is to look at as much of that folklore as you can and kind of try to understand, first of all, the scope of what you're dealing with. Because as we touched on a little bit earlier, talking about fairies being human-sized, there's such a huge range. Um, There's so many beings that fall into this umbrella of what we would call a fairy, um, you know, an otherworldly being. And some of them definitely are on the, the slightly safer, more benevolent side, and many of them are not. Uh, and you, you kind of have to try to really study as much of that as you can, even if you just pick one particular culture, like my main focus is Irish, um, but sort of learn that whole scope so that you have some context and you know what you're dealing with and what the potential outcomes are 
for different things. Um, you know, another really important thing in my opinion is grasp that they are not human. Um, they get anthropomorphized so much that a lot of people come into it thinking that they're basically just dealing either with tiny little humans with wings or with human sized otherworldly beings that are effectively human, that they're going to have human emotions, that they're going to have a human thought process. And they're just really not. Um, we see that in the folklore. We see that with the anecdotes. Um, I've seen that in my own experiences. They, they have a very foreign way of looking at things and understanding things. Um, and, you know, if, if we had more time, I could give some more concrete examples of that. But the important part is just to understand that no matter what they look like, um, they are not humans. And they have their own system of etiquette. They have their own expectations for how someone is going to act, um, for how a human interacting with them is going to act. And they really don't react well when people vary from that. Um, they, they tend to just expect that, uh, humans will deal with them the way they expect to be dealt with. And it's super important to learn that. And that etiquette varies from culture to culture. So, um, you know, to give an, a slightly more concrete example, the, the Irish, um, Dinashi do not tend to be super forgiving, um, if you misstep with them or if you insult them, um, their reactions tend to be kind of extreme and they don't generally really grade on much of a curve. Whereas the Norse Alfar or Hulda folk, um, the Norse elves, if you will, they tend to be a little more generous um, in nature and they also tend to be more um, understanding of humans and forgiving of human mistakes and dealing with them slightly. I'm not saying that they will just, you know, blanket, you can get away with anything with them. But comparatively, um, it's a big thing in uh, Celtic language folklore, particularly Irish, that you should never eat fairy food. Um, if you eat fairy food, you'll be trapped in fairy or um, bound to fairies, unable to leave. In contrast, in a lot of Norse folklore, Norse cultural folklore, um, particularly dealing with the Alfar, if they offer you food, you don't want to refuse it because that's very rude and that will offend them. So these are specific details that you kind of need to learn. Um, it's almost like learning how to deal with an entirely different culture. You want to learn the manners and expected behaviors, things like that. Um, so those are two really important things to start with. Uh, and I obviously, I've done this for a long time, so I'm not telling people absolutely don't ever, you know, work with or deal with fairies. Um, I know some people have a lot of passion for it. Um, some people are just very drawn to it. You know, some people are kind of in the position I was in where they can see or interact with these beings. So you sort of have to learn how to out of self-defense um, because you don't have a choice. So, you know, sometimes it's just inevitable. Some people, this is the basis of their witchcraft is, is dealing with spirits, dealing with otherworldly beings. And, you know, in all of those cases, start with the folklore, start with learning the etiquette, Beyond that, um, you want to look at building specific connections, uh, make offerings, 
try to reach out to particular beings. I usually recommend people start with house spirits, house fairies, because um, those tend to be the most inclined to, to be receptive to that sort of thing. Um, and they're also, you know, you're, you're very connected to them anyway, just because of their nature and everyone has them. I've, I've talked about that in, um, summary writing, uh, whether you live in an apartment building or a, a brand new house or a hotel, um, or, you know, any sort of structure that you live in is going to have house spirits. If you don't happen to live in a structure, um, if you are, you know, in a tent, if you're in a car, if you're, you know, not in a structured situation, there's still going to be those spirits around you. And there's ways to reach out and connect to the things that are, are the most present, if that makes sense. So those are sort of the three main steps that I recommend people start with. And everyone hates that I start with the homework before you get to the fun stuff, but yeah, but that's what, that's the important stuff. I think so. I've, I've had enough negative experiences, um, and enough things that have happened that, you know, obviously I haven't died, which I really appreciate so far, but, um, there was the whole going blind thing, uh, and other stories that I didn't get to tell you. Um, I've had enough negative experiences myself to have a really healthy respect for what these beings can do if they are motivated to, um, or if you're just unlucky enough to, to end up crossing the wrong trail as it were. Uh, so, you know, I, I always think it's better to be prepared, know how to protect yourself, know how to avoid the, the most, you know, sort of dangerous mistakes and, and go from there. I think that's awesome. I think that's, I think that's great advice. I've, like I said, I bought both your books. I recommend them highly, highly. I've, I've, I've been learning about, about the face since, uh, I, we were 18. So I've been, you know, learning about this for the last 20 years and that's awesome. your books were phenomenal. I mean, I've read, you know, a bunch of books on the topic and I, I loved your books. I thought they were really good. I felt like they were easy to read. They were digestible. They offered some really good, um, some really good suggestions and whatnot. It's, it, it captivated me that you wrote that they don't like being called it because for a long time I stopped calling it fairy and started saying fae and I didn't really know why. Now I think I prefer the term fair folk. Yeah. Um, But it just didn't feel right to say fairy. And I think because in my head, when you say that it gives a very, you know, cartoon Disney version of, Mm -hmm. of what you're talking about. And that's just not at all what you're talking about. Right. So, I mean, your books were tremendous. Um, I, I, I definitely recommend them. Your YouTube channel, actually, I've started watching, and I just love it. I, some of your videos have been really fun. They've been really great. Thank you. I, I definitely, I, I encourage people to kind of, you know, guardedly, you know, walk into this if they want. But I think you're right. I mean, the best way to get someone talking about this or looking into this is to give them that respectful fear and understanding of, of what it is and what it isn't. Right. And you know, that's why I use the comparison. Like if you want to work with wolves, 
Um, you know, I would also say like, it's, it's the same thing. If you want to go hiking, you know, you have to know how to take care of yourself. You can't just go off walking because if something bad happens, you need to know what to do. Um, yeah. I'm going to die. That's what would happen if I went hiking. <laughs> this is true. I can't just go hiking. Like 10 minutes in, I'm toast. I'm off a cliff or no, something. I mean, it's not going to go well. No, she's bad. being dramatic. What it means is she would just get annoyed because she wouldn't be able to find a Dairy Queen nearby. So she'd sit down and pout and say she wants to go home. That's her. Right. And then I would die because I wouldn't get up to walk yeah. back because I wouldn't know where to go. That's what I'm saying. All right. Well, Morgan, thank you so much for joining us. And we're going to have links for um, all your good stuff. We'll make sure we have a link for the uh, Facebook Faye Propaganda Department, which I've already liked and I'm already now a part of. Oh, God. Um, it's 100% yeah, ridiculousness. So, oh, it's fabulous. I love it. And so, um, you know, we'll have all your links for your books and everything. And I recommend people, you know, check out your YouTube. And um, I just, I really appreciate you coming on because you're just, you totally geek out over the things that I love to geek out about. And the things yeah, I like to geek out about, frankly, are few and far between. So... I was very, very excited to have you on. Thank you all for having me. Well, thank you everybody for joining us for another episode of That Witch Life podcast. Uh, be sure to check out our Instagram and our. you can check out our Facebook page. We also have our Etsy shop with our cards and bumper stickers and stickers. We'll have more bonus content next week while we're all doing our stay-at-home thing. So thank you guys for joining us and please follow us on our different pages and check out our website. We've got lots of links for all the resources we discussed today and thank you guys. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye buddy. (laughs) Join us on the first and third Mondays of the month for magical tools, tips, and stories about living as a witch in today's world. Find us at thatwitchlife.com for archived episodes and ask your burning questions for us to answer in a future podcast. So vote it be. And for the record, if you are hiking for 10 minutes and find a Dairy Queen in the middle of the woods, that is 100% a trap and you should not oh, eat that Dairy Queen food. So true, Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it's gonna be your demise <laughs> oh my, my husband's god. already told me that if he ever kills me he's gonna poison my donut someday <laughs> and i told him i'm like i'll totally eat that donut he's like i know well, like i could even know it was coming i'd still eat the donut